Welcome to the Chick Monks Podcast, where we explore the spiritual path of contemplative Christianity with a female voice and perspective. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So here... After spending 40 days fasting and facing the deepest human temptations alone in the wilderness, the temptations to power, significance, and self-importance, Jesus denied himself indulgence to these sinful, divisive desires, and he journeyed back to his hometown where he presented himself at the synagogue to the people he'd grown up with. He read to them from the book of Isaiah about the justice and compassion of the kingdom of God, making the statement that he was ushering that kingdom in. And as soon as he sits down, he's met with a bunch of murmurs and questions from the men around him because, of course, it was only men allowed in the synagogue. And they wonder, as they listen to him, how he could possibly be such a wise, gracious teacher, this boy they'd watched grow into a man. Jesus engaged with their surprise, saying this was the exact reason he wasn't going to reveal to them the miracles or teachings that he'd begun to offer in other cities. People from other towns came to him seeking truth, but as he says, no prophet is recognized in his hometown. 
They weren't prepared to see him as the prophetic leader that he was because they were too comfortable with him. And then he explains this need humans have to be healed by those who we see as functionally different from us. He says we need the differences because when we're comfortable, we stop paying attention. There are psychological explanations for this, why we stop noticing what we're familiar with. This is why insurance companies estimate that over 50% of car accidents happen within a five-mile radius of our homes. We get comfortable and we stop looking for new things. That's just part of being a human. We stop expecting to be surprised. It's not just behind the wheel that we get on cruise control, though, is it? I mean, it's so easy for life to fall into mindless routines, mindless systems, driving down familiar highways and taking the same turns day after day after day, and how quickly we fall asleep in the comfort of things staying exactly the way they have always been. Now the good news for us in 2020 is that at this point in human history, nothing is the way it's always been. As difficult as it's felt, we've, we've been shaken awake from our slumber, and we get to decide how we move forward. The voices rising up with an awareness of injustice, the systems we've counted upon to provide security seemingly falling apart, all drawing our attention to things that aren't working anymore. So now what? Do we cling to the things that felt right for so long? To be sure, this isn't only true in the world of policy or structures or human systems. This is just as true for our individual faith, our way of understanding God, our way of knowing how to live. Do we cling to the things that felt right for so long, even when it may be time to outgrow them? This is what Jesus faced when he's teaching at the synagogue, a group of people clinging to their ways of understanding the world when they have something full of an entirely new kind of life right before their eyes. Maybe you can relate. Maybe it's hard for you to let go of old ways of seeing things. And that would just make you human because the old ways are around because they have felt safe because they have worked in the past. We want to get things right so that we can be safe. We want to be right so that we don't get hurt. But getting things right doesn't always mean avoiding pain. We see this in the life of Jesus, don't we? He had such an understanding of truth and love and righteousness. He had such a desire for the kingdom of God that it meant inevitable rejection. And this is his proclamation of that rejection. By living and teaching faith in God's kingdom, Jesus was walking straight into a life of rejection from those who knew him as he grew up, by those in power, those who lacked imagination. He faced rejection from those who had something to lose invested in the human structures of money, power, and community. He knew it would be painful. He bore the pain 
willingly. He lived in radical faith anyway because he believed there was something better, not just for him, but for all of humanity. This, friends, is faith recognizing that there is something better, that there is abundant life, and that though it may cost comfort or certainty, it is worth it. It's worth it because there is nothing to lose except for the things that keep us clinging to this world. We're holding so tight to the illusion of security that we can't see the promise of eternal life right before us. And so long as we're holding on to how things should be or how they've always been, we are blinded to the abundant life of God unfolding right before our eyes. Human systems may bring order and structure, but they will not lead you to the love of God. What does lead us to God then? Well, you get to choose. A modern mystic teacher, Richard Rohr, says there are two paths to knowing God for most of us. Great joy and great suffering. But most of us won't pay enough attention to the joys so we suffer in our pain, believing that it's separating us from the love we long for. But in your pain and in your joy, there's an invitation to the deepest love you've ever known a love that you could never be separated from, a love that will lead you to freedom, to truth, to the kingdom of God, and to oneness with one another. What if this is a moment to examine every part of our lives? What if this is a moment to release the things that only keep us bound to suffering? What if this is a moment to look through what feels most important about the life you lead and to see that it was pointing you to love all along? This is the invitation. This is the kingdom of God. Surrender the comfortable ways of seeing the world around you. And instead, look through the eyes of love. The kingdom of God will bring justice and peace for all of humankind. And it begins with you. Amen. Amen.